Hello, hello everyone. Welcome to the very, very last episode of The Medium, The Message Season 2. I am so just excited and thrilled to be here and especially because we just recently released our Connection magazine, which is the antithesis of our Isolation magazine that was released earlier in November. And this magazine basically explores all the different ways that we experience both connection and disconnection in our everyday lives. And, you know, life is just so busy sometimes and we go through life hustling. We just lose connection with both ourselves and our loved ones. And so in our recent magazine, our team each thought of um, one way that they've seen connection in their life and they decided to write about it. So uh, for my story, when I thought of connection, I thought of the moments around the dinner table with my family. And my family, we are Vietnamese immigrants. I was born here in Canada, but my parents were born in Vietnam. And I feel like one of the biggest moments of disconnect that I have experienced in my life was when I didn't fully understand my history as a Vietnamese immigrant and the experiences that my parents and my grandparents had. And so in in the in the short story, I share a bit about my dad's experience growing up in Vietnam um, amidst the war and, you know, just the horrible, horrible things that they had to endure. Coming to Canada was an opportunity for a new life, but it, did, it doesn't mean that it was going to be all easy and people experience different types of love in their household or maybe not different types of love but the love materializes differently depending on that individual's um, personal experiences and preferences and so coming from a Vietnamese immigrant family um, the the love that I guess I would see um, from my parents didn't look the same as the love that I would see it portrayed in foreign film um, or even at my friend's house and so because of that difference um, that wasn't portrayed in entertainment but that I would see in my own home and just stories that weren't really told um, I would come to think that there was something wrong with my family that you know maybe my parents didn't love me because their the love that they were showing didn't look the same as I would see in in film and in other people's lives and so this story really highlights different immigrant experiences and hopefully also resonates with the second generation immigrant who grew up strained between two different cultures, the one that they were born into and that they experience at home and then the ones that they would experience while they go to school and work and um, make them feel heard and seen especially during those moments when they might have had a strained relationship with their parents, realizing that connection is possible with deeper communication and understanding. And so on that note, I welcome you to our final episode once again, where you will be able to hear about the experiences from our magazine contributors and the ways that they've experienced connection and disconnection. And honestly, we talk about so many things, and I think there's something in this episode for everyone. We talk about um, art, we talk about self-care, we talk about romance and online dating in today's day and age. We talk about speech disorders and um, what it's like to have 
have a different cultural identity than others and just so so many good things so i hope you enjoy and in no particular order i now um introduce manjot who designed our entire magazine and she will introduce herself my name is manjot abla i am the design editor uh for the medium volume 48 and i'm in my fifth and final year uh, specializing in art and art history. Manjot wrote the story called Etch, which is the first story in our magazine. When I asked Manjot to tell me about a time when she experienced deep connection with either herself or her loved ones, she had a really interesting answer and one that a lot of people might relate with. Oh my god, that's such a deep question. Um I actually don't know how to answer that because like my piece is about like dissociation a little bit disconnect so like I don't think I ever felt truly connected to anything um I think the most connected I ever felt to myself is like at night um when it's just pure darkness that's when I feel the most connected um most of my artworks are usually based on that as well because like I feel like I'm more of a mindful person than I am a, a physical person. Manjot's story Etch is a creative fiction story about a girl doing printmaking. There is a lot of symbolism of this bone that the girl finds and the process of printmaking that can resonate with people who might have experienced trauma in their lives. The bone structure is like the foundation of the body, right? Everything is made up around it. Um, it protects the organs, all these things, right? And so, like, what if, you know, what if it's damaged? What happens then? Like, a lot of your physical structure, it kind of gets messed up. Um, and so, in the story, like, this person just finds this piece of bone. So, what does that mean? Like, how did this person lose it? What does it mean when, when you didn't even realize you lost something that is, like, so in part of you right part of your body like what does that mean manjot is very 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 creative and adaptable as an artist and she works in all types of mediums such as printmaking and illustrations and animation when i asked her about some of her early influences to becoming an artist she replies that one of her favorite tv shows was one where an individual had to use what was around them and create something with it there was no special occasion where I like got into art. It was just like school basically, like going into class, um, doing like small little doodles here and there. Um, sometimes my grandparents, sometimes my, my dad like would bring like, you know, the always store quality watercolors, you know, like, like really like really low quality stuff, but through that, just like having fun. Like it was on TVO, I think, like this like art programming, um, like it's Australian. I forgot what it's called. I think it's called Art, uh, art Attack and like they make crafts with everyday objects that you found around the house. So stuff like that is what really influ influential because it's really teaching you how to be creative and having fun. Um, and so that's like how I think I came into art and and whenever like I did art, more people complimented me on that aspect. So I was like more confident going into it because when people compliment you, you're like, okay, I'm good at this one thing. Um, so it just feels more 
I don't know, reassuring. And so that's why I ended up like just taking it on and on and on um, until I ended up going to university, specializing in it. Working as an artist is not easy at all. And Manjot shares some of the highs and the lows of working on this magazine, which she illustrated, typesetted, and designed every single little aspect of it. One of the things that she talked about was creative burnout, and she also talks a little bit more about how she came up with the color palette. Yeah, like when you like start, you know, creating something, it's just like super, super fun. And like, it's almost kind of not like a high, but just like you get so like into that creative space that you just want to create and create. But then there's a point, and this is a challenge where it just like drops and like you just feel like overwhelmed and it's like, oh my God, I have so much more to do. And then creating more just becomes harder. So like finding that balance where how much time can you spend on illustrating this thing and kind of trying to give everybody also like an equal, I don't know, like I want to make sure like everybody has something that they would love. You guys also made the comment about like how most of the articles were about like the senses or somewhat of like human senses. And so like these earthy tones, I also was trying to be mindful of the human body. Um, so some of them are kind of more skin flesh color. Some of them are like internal body as well as like, like the earth as well. Connection was such an important theme for our magazine, especially because a lot of us experienced the disconnect of not being able to see our peers on campus and even within the team at Medium, not being able to see each other in office and working mostly remotely. So Manja also shares about what she thinks is one of the biggest causes of disconnect and she talks about the importance of having time to socialize with friends and how that influences our perception of ourselves. School is the only time that like I had opportunities to talk to people, um, like to engage with people and like losing that aspect of my social life has like impacted how I think about myself and further kind of create that disconnect. You really do need to engage with people to really fully capture who you are because we are complex beings. We're not just this one thing. We're multiple identities all at once. This is the last time we're doing that. The, doing it this year. Um, I'm Liz Provost. I am a third-year chemistry and art history double major. Um, and I'm. What else did you want me to say? And you're the editor in chief. And I am the editor in chief of the Medium's 48th and soon to be 49th volume. So we're super excited about that here. And in this year's Connection magazine, you had a stunning, stunning piece about art, which Stop also, Manjot also created like the most stunning work. And it even on the front page, it has artwork from um, your mother. And so can you tell us a little bit about the inspiration behind that piece? And yeah, the story about, you know, you visiting these museums and how art connects us all. So I was very fortunate growing up to go to museums. I mean, I traveled a lot, so that was kind of why. And also my mom's an artist. Um, and I remember when I was little, she would take me to museums and I would like, it was like the most dreadful experience ever. And she would stand in front of a painting and look at it for like 10 minutes. And I would just like be pulling at her pant leg, just trying to get us to leave or at least move on to the next room. 
Um, but with time, I, I was kind of curious. I'm like, why is she looking at this picture for so long? Like, what is so important about it or what is so interesting about it? And so once I started looking myself and not just like being like, oh, tree, beautiful. But like, what does the tree being there mean? And what does it, what meaning does it bring to the overall piece, the overall composition? What is the artist trying to say? I found so much more meaning in museums. And I also have learned so much through art about history, about cultures, about, you know, the human experience, about love and loss and tragedy and pain and suffering, whatever it goes on. But um, yeah, so that was kind of like, later in my life when I started to appreciate art. And I think a lot of it came from wanting to learn from it. Um, and so when I thought about connection, um, I thought about art because I love art and I study art and I make some art myself and I see art everywhere in my house. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of where I was inspired by it. I also have a very artistic family I talk about my grandfather who was also who is an artist um, back in Russia and how he worked for like 60 odd years as a um, accordion player um, and he dedicated his whole life to music um, despite facing so many hardships and stuff like that and yeah I'm actually really really happy with this piece and I hope that um, you know when when someone reads it, they, they understand what I see in art. And if they haven't seen that in art, they begin to, they begin to look closer and to pay attention to what it has to say. And so what about like, what if someone's really bad at art? Like, what would you say to them? And like, can they still get involved with it um, to like use it to connect? I think, um, you know, you don't have to um, be good at art to understand art so there's like two facets to it like there's the like, art historical context and like the studio art context so like first of all I encourage everybody to when you go to a museum pick at least one piece in a room that interests you and look up like the wikipedia explanation of it and it might not be the most precise but you will learn something there's better websites but I'm just going to say wikipedia and make things simple like do that and you will understand why you find something interesting because there's always a meaning. Nobody ever paints something. I mean, I guess maybe nowadays, but most often when something's painted, it's not just like a tree in a field. Why am I going back to this tree example? Anyways, there's always something more to it. And if you look that up, you will be like, oftentimes I'm blown away by the kind of allegorical meanings of art or the mythological meanings of art. So that's my first point. And then when it comes to actually creating art, there's no such thing as like a bad artwork or like a bad piece because art is so subjective. And you could, I mean, I'm sure you guys have seen like the banana tape to the wall, like you could do anything and it's considered art. Now I do, I'm not a big fan of like that kind of contemporary art, but that's a whole other topic. Um, but I think what's most important about creating art is channeling your emotions and experiences into your work. Um, and that can be difficult, but it can also be healing. So I think for a lot of people that maybe don't like journaling because they don't like writing, try like art journaling and painting or something and start small. You don't have, you know, you, you're not expected to paint the Mona Lisa the first time you pick up a pencil or paintbrush. Um, it does take practice, but you don't have to aim to paint like that. You can just aim to paint just or draw just to like, express your emotions or um, 
kind of feel calm and, and have fun with your friends or whatever. But yeah. It's clear through the short time that I've known Liz that she is very passionate about her Russian identity and about her family. And so when I asked her about a time that she felt so connected to herself and her loved ones, it didn't come as a surprise that she mentioned the moments with her mother, her grandparents, um, together in their home in Russia. Specifically at my grandparents' house, which I wrote about in our past magazine in 2021 um, in the spring. but especially in our tiny, tiny, tiny kitchen in a very, very, very small town in Russia. Uh, me, my grandpa, my grandma, and my mom sitting in like a two meter by two meter kitchen space, just um, talking and connecting and feeling very like a family because I don't have any siblings. My mom doesn't have any siblings and my grandparents don't have any siblings. So it's literally always just been the four of us. It's been a while since it's been the four of us in one room. Um, but like that is when I connect the most, even with my own culture and like myself. I think a lack of like empathy and care for each other um, and a lack of communication. I think a lot of the times when I kind of lose touch with people, it's because there's a lack of communication or a lack of wanting to work through things and rather just pushing them to the side and pretending that, no that nothing is wrong. Um, and just honestly, a lack of empathy because I feel like I don't know what it was like living a hundred years ago, but I feel like today there's so many things that stress us out and that we have to deal with. Um, and oftentimes, understandably, we don't find the time to um, reflect about how other people are dealing with certain stresses or certain things. And so I feel like that keeps us isolated from each other because we don't really speak about how we're doing very often. Like it's kind of stigmatized to express that you're um, not doing well or that you're struggling with something, whether it be your job or school or your love life or your personal life or whatever. And actually kind of tying into my first point is that I find that this disconnect varies, um, or the first question, this disconnect varies um, depending on culture. Like when I go back home to Russia, I find that I'm able to connect with people a lot easier there like even strangers than I am here just because of the way that society shapes opening up to strangers, if that makes sense, and being empathetic. Um, and so, yeah, I think for some people that may have experienced different cultures and may have lived in different countries, um, they may kind of notice that, that in Canada, it's a little bit different than in other places in for some people positive, for, some, for others negative ways. Continuing with the order that the pieces appear in the magazine, next we have Aroni who talks about her experience um, as an international student and how even across the globe, oh, far, far away from her home and her family, she finds herself connecting with old friends. My name is Aroni Sarkar. Um, I am a fourth year student completing a double major in political science and English. Um, I'm currently the opinion editor or the outgoing opinion editor at The Medium. Um, and I wrote a piece about um, language and my struggle with my, and accepting my name in my piece for the magazine this year. I think the pandemic has been a really good life lesson in learning how we are all connected. 
So during the course of the pandemic or majority of the time of the pandemic, I was back home in Singapore, separated from my friends and separated from my loved ones here, which I wrote about in a poem in the last magazine for isolation. But oddly enough, that experience has taught me how not only how difficult it is to stay connected, but also how easy it is to maintain connections. Um, whether it's through like hopping on our Discord with my friends and just joining on our voice chats or having Netflix watch parties. Um, and just like with the help of technology, we're able to stay connected. But I think one of the most biggest moments in my life where I realized how truly connected we are without even realizing was actually meeting a friend of mine here. Um, we didn't know each other back home in Singapore and we met each other for the first time here in first year because we had a mutual friend who realized she has two friends from Singapore and thought we might know each other. And when we met each other for the first time, we realized that not only did we have multiple occasions where we could have run into each other because her best friend lived in my building um, and her friends dated my family friends, her family friends knew my family friends and we were just connected in so many ways that we never realized and all it took was reaching the same university campus halfway across the globe from where we both are from to know how truly connected we are. And that's been one of the biggest moments in my life where I realized, wow, <laughs> we are really connected and we don't even know it. So what inspired you to write about um, like your identity and language for the Connection magazine? So this is actually quite a long story. So um, a friend of mine, she wrote an Instagram post about two years ago, um, learning to accept her mother tongue um, and celebrating her relationship with her mother tongue, which she had a tough relationship with it for, for her whole life. And it inspired me to write a blog post about my experiences in school where my name was not treated right uh, because of linguistic barriers, um, even within Indian languages, um, because my name is different. Um, and when I was thinking of ideas to write for the Connection Magazine piece, I was trying to think of ways that I was initially thinking about writing about the pandemic, initially thinking about writing about how I have family members across the world and how we're connected. But then I realized that perhaps the best way to describe how I am connected to the different cultures and languages and people around me is through my name and through the journey of learning to appreciate and love my name. And it's not something that a lot of people often think about, like the impact that someone's name can have on their life or how the way different people around you treat your name impacts how you view yourself and how you view your identity. And I see my name as not just one singular object it's some, or concept, it's something that has evolved throughout my life and has gained and lost meaning on its way. Um, or as I wrote in my piece, it's like a metamorphosis where it's like evolved and changed based on, you know, opinions of other people, whether it's non-Indians not being able to pronounce it right, or even Indians not being able to pronounce it right, or people telling me that my name is wrong, <laughs> or, um, and things like that. And then also how 
My name not only shapes my identity, but then shapes how I view the world because people's um, opinions about my name is also opinions about me and my, posi my positionality um, in my surroundings. And so this piece is basically a reflection of kind of the reasons why I made certain decisions and how those decisions have impacted who I am today. It can be hard to accept and love oneself when the people around us, especially those that we might respect, like a teacher, are making comments about the validity and authenticity of our name, making us question our very own identity. Through her photo essay, Simra captures ways that we can love ourselves through tasks that bring us joy, such as painting or face masks or anything that helps us reconnect with ourselves and that is a form of self-care. Hey, hi everyone. Uh, my name is Simra. I'm in third year uh, doing computer science, math, and psychology. And so I started doing photography in grade 10 till when I was 15 because I took a graphic design class in high school. And ever since then, I've been doing photography just for fun. And I was a photographer for the medium um, since first year, so since 2019. So I've been doing that for three years now. Um, it was first year, I think September, and I think they had a stall set up somewhere outside. So I went there and uh, I just signed up to be a photographer. I wanted to focus this on self-care because that's something that I struggle with because of university and courses and everything. So I decided to do a lot of close-up shots so that people who are looking at this photo essay could see themselves in the pictures, kind of. So um, like one of the pictures is like putting a face mask on. Um, that like the close-up shot of that picture, you could imagine that it's yourself putting it on. My favorite would probably be the painting because I painted that painting by myself um, when I was struggling with school, when I just wanted to get away for a bit. So it was nice just taking a picture of me painting it. But yeah, how have, now that it's the end of the year, how have you been practicing self-care? So um, every Friday when I get home, I'll put on a face mask and I'll watch a scary movie um, or I'll just try to read a little. Um, and painting, I paint sometimes on the weekends. And the makeup, like I do makeup sometimes just for fun on the weekends. So I'm not really good at it, but I try. Uh, and then, yeah, just watching movies, painting, doing my makeup, spending time with my friends and family. That's how I practice self-care. Hi, my name is Juliana. I am a third year studying English and professional writing and communication at UTM. Um, I got involved with the medium kind of by chance. I saw the posting for a copy editor um, actually through my email and I got really excited because in high school, I worked as the editor-in-chief of the, my high school newspaper, which was called The, Mi the Mirror. Um, and I had not been involved in student journalism for a little bit, but I missed it. And I think the email for the copy editor position was kind of like my, my nudge in the right direction. So I applied and was lucky enough to get this position. Um, and it's been an absolute pleasure working with the entire team this year. I've loved every minute of it. So I'm really glad that I, I applied for it. 
Juliana writes a creative nonfiction story called 70 Years of First Dates, which compares two experiences of romances being sparked. What I love about Juliana's style of writing that she did in both this magazine and in the past magazine is that she contrasts different experiences and writes them in a way that just captivates you and helps you to realize that different experiences are a great thing and that one is not better than the other. So in our conversation today, Juliana talks about how her grandparents have kept their romance sparked after all these years being together and and also the ups and downs of online dating. As soon as I heard connection, the first thing I thought of was my grandparents. Um, for background, my grandparents have been, my, my dad's parents have been together for 67 years and they are practically the same person at this point. Um, and like when I think of connection, that's the epitome of connection. They have been together so long that they can't even stand when like one of them goes to the store and the other one stays home. They're like Aww. worried. They, they can't be apart, it's so cute. Um, so I decided to take it as an opportunity to kind of spend some time with my grandmother and interview her as to how they met. And I ended up finding out that it was such an interesting story. Um, like I could not have imagined that kind of thing happening now, um, which is kind of what prompted me to write the second half, which is kind of a meditation on like online dating and how the dynamic has changed between like 1952 to now. Um, that one is mostly fictional. It kind of is a bunch of stories from friends that have had bad experiences and good ones on Tinder. Um, so I kind of like combined stuff and made that into a story as well. But it was really interesting looking even at the connection between how people relate to each other and how that's changed over time. One of the biggest changes in society nowadays is the use of technology and how that is shaping our social interactions and also our love life. Because now with technology, we can reach out to people across the world and online dating is also becoming the new fad. So I asked Juliana for her perspective and just to break it down in a nutshell, Juliana has a pretty optimistic approach to um, technology and online dating. Let's hear what she has to say. I have been seeing so many people meeting online and establishing these connections without ever seeing each other face to face. Um, and I think it's completely different from how my grandparents met. I mean, they were um, constantly together and like all of their, their entire mode of communication was face to face conversation. Um, but now we have this ability to connect with people online and not having to be in the same country or like continent or on the same continent even. So it's really cool that we have that ability to connect with people, even if uh, proximity is an issue. I mean, um, the other thing that it brings is access to different perspectives that we never would have been able to have access to before. I mean, like I even at UTM, I've been able to meet so many different people from so many different places and keep up with them, even as they move on to grad school and move countries. And it's just really cool um, to be able to do that. But in terms of love and romance, I mean, I think we all kind of knock Tinder sometimes. Um, for it's like hookup culture and the way that people act on there. But through talking to people, I've seen that it actually can work. There are success stories of people meeting on Tinder and, you know, staying together. So I think there's hope for our generation through connection online. Yeah, sometimes I sometimes I wonder, though, if like with technology nowadays, um, it's easy to know a lot of people, but 
our connections are a bit more shallow. Do you ever feel like that sometimes? Because I feel like back then, you know, when you met someone randomly and face to face and through mutual connections, there's this sense of like, oh, like you don't have many options and like you really want to like take advantage of this time to get to know this one person. Whereas now it's like you can get to know one person, but then if it doesn't work out, like you'll just talk to another person and you kind of like jump from person to person. Do you ever feel that? I mean, sometimes I think looking back at my grandparents' story, I mean, they were and a complete anomaly by this day's standards. They were together at 20 and have not spent any time apart since, aside from the fact that my grandfather was in the military and gone all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but like nowadays, being able to talk to people online, like there is a superficial aspect to it for sure. I feel like a lot of the time you spend more time thinking about like how you're perceived by other people than the connections that you're establishing with them and it kind of gets to be a little bit more of a competition um that being said I do think there's still opportunity for genuine connection I mean if you're really if you're on these apps like looking for a connection or a real relationship rather than just like how many swipes can I get I think you're able to find that it's kind of just the mentality you have to take going into it that that's great advice and um I guess so, and your grandparents today, like they're still going strong. They love each other so much. Um, have they ever shared advice with you on how they've kept their romance like alive and strong for so many years? Um, I think I've, I talked about this with my grandmother quite recently. Um, and as I mentioned, my grandfather was away a lot because um, he was in the RCMP in the military. So she spent a lot of time raising my dad and his brothers by herself because he was gone. Um, but the thing she always talked about was mutual respect. You have to be able to listen to the other person, hear their side and not immediately argue for yourself because you'll get nowhere if you're not listening to the other person. So that that's something she's always instilled within me and um, her other grandkids as well. So, Wow, that's so good. And yeah, I definitely feel like even outside of romantic relationships, like in our schools and our workplaces and our friendships, having mutual respect for each other is a really important um, thing to have in order to have deep connections. What do you think is the number one thing that kills connections and like romances? Interesting question. I haven't really thought about that. I mean, I can go off of experience from like my friends on Tinder. Um, And a lot of it has to do with how you present yourself and like the attitude that comes behind like bios, for example, bios make or break everything somehow. And I find that really funny because like, how do you get to know somebody in like two sentences? That to me is, a, I, I can't understand that. I'm such a long-winded person as everybody is probably listening to and hearing. Um, but like, I need so much time and information to get to know people. And now all of a sudden they're like, oh, I don't like their bio. Oh, I don't like the fact that they have like a dog in their picture. I don't, yeah. yeah. We've got it's to just so judgmental, you it's, know? I think people are so quick to just kind of put a blanket statement on someone just because, oh, they chose to wear red in this photo. Like, (laughs) it's just like so random, but I guess that's based off personal preference. But yeah, that's what I'm noticing. Yeah, online, like you really, it almost is like online shopping. Like you're looking through profiles and you're like, no, I don't like this, not really to my style. Um, But yeah, like 
back to the topic of how a lot of people are using online dating sites um, and how there is a positive light to it. Like, do you have any advice, either what you think or things that you've noticed from your friends, um, ways to, um, I guess, like have a good experience with online dating? So I personally have zero um, like history with online dating. I have had no interest in just getting on an app. It's not my thing. Um, But for friends of mine, what I've noticed is when they go into it looking for like not just not necessarily a relationship but they're wanting to talk to people for the sake of talking to people they're not worried about like oh is my hair right am I making the right pose did I like you know write this the the correct things in my interest list like when you when you stop focusing on like all the little details and worrying about how other people are looking at you you kind of um get to take the time and think about other people and how you would connect with them so I guess my advice based on what they have kind of experienced is don't be so self-conscious about making yourself somebody that you're not because if you are then people are going to come into conversations with you and expect a certain thing and that's not going to be it and people are going to get disappointed and you're going to be disappointed because you're trying to be someone you're not and that's just not productive And beyond online dating and romantic relationships, when I asked Juliana about a time when she felt so connected to her loved ones, she talked about spending time with her brother, who she currently lives at home with, and how good it is to cultivate relationships with our family. Living at home, being online, and like not, he's online at school, I'm doing my courses online. Um, Being able to spend so much time together and like, you know, play board games that I wouldn't have normally had time to sit down and play because I was out on campus or, you know, watch that movie together that he didn't end up going to the theater to see with his friends. You know, having that time to kind of just be together and like hang out face to face instead of like that occasional text, um, that made all the difference. We are a lot closer than we were at the beginning of the pandemic. And I think that, I mean, as sucky as it was to be stuck inside the entire time. I think the the quality time that we got to spend together was great. In terms of last words, I'd just like to put it out there. If you are, you know, a writer and you're scared of sharing your work or you don't want to like, you know, show it to other people, um, do it. And if you want to apply for a job to be a copy editor randomly that you got in your email, do it because it is um, such a great thing to be able to talk to and experience like writing and like just publishing in general with people who also love to write. Juliana has been such a pleasure to work with over the past year as our copy editor. And Juliana, I wish you all the best in your future endeavors. For our next interviewee, we have Julia, who is our theater Arendelle correspondent. She wrote a piece called Our World Through Rhythm, which I am obsessed with, and I love how it calls us to pay attention to the sounds around us. My name is Julia Skotripiec. I'm in my fourth year here at UTM. Uh, I'm doing a major in English and a double minor in PwC and drama. And for the UTM medium this year, I was the theater Arendelle correspondent. Kind of going back to, I guess, as, as long as I can remember, I've always just been sort of fascinated by how things sound. Um, growing up, I wrote a lot of music. I listened to a lot of music still till this day. Um, so this idea of like sound and especially rhythm, I've mainly associated with music. And uh, kind of through COVID and isolation, 
I went out on walks a lot as a lot of us did to sort of you know get our outdoor time and I sort of just noticed like these little things out in the out in the environment that I never really noticed before and I was kind of like searching for things to I guess inspire writing and things like that because I was frankly just bored <laughs> but then I I noticed these things and I was like wait like things are very I guess cyclical in the way they happen a lot of the time and then um, taking that little small observation, um, I took um, some critical reading and listening, uh, a WRI course in the uh, fall semester. And we read this work by Henri Lefebvre, which I quote a lot in my piece. And it talks about um, rhythms and how they occur in our environment and how they connect us to one another. And I never really thought about it like that, like rhythms occurring in our environment and connecting us to one another, to one another. but it makes so much sense because like, in a way we all, you know, we all have a certain structure and that structure is very rhythmic, even though it may not have a sound to it. Like it, the rep repetition of things that we do is very beat-like. Um, and I found that so, so fascinating. So then I kind of took my observations during isolation, my love of music and the Henri Lefebvre piece. And I just kind of put it all together into what is the piece, so yeah. That is so interesting. And so like, so what you're saying is everyone has a different rhythm, like rhythm in their life and what that mm. sounds like. So in a sense, it's like, even the way we wake up, we brush our teeth, we go to work, slash school, we eat dinner at a certain time, we eat lunch at a certain time. That can in itself be, I guess categorized as a rhythm even though it doesn't have a sound to it it's very much like a rhythm because it has a flow a beat right and so I never I never thought about things like that and then when I read again the Henri Lefebvre piece it really like connected that aspect of life to music in a way which is like a huge huge part of of, of my life like I listen to music every single day right and so then I yeah I, I just find it so cool because in a way that music unites us very very strongly our daily actions and our daily routines, although often they are um, different and we follow, you know, our own set structure, a lot of the time it overlaps with other people's way of, of doing things and ways of living. And in that way, like we are, we are connected. What does your rhythm usually look like? Like how, how like when do you like to listen to music and when are you usually just in silence? Um, I usually give myself time before I go to sleep to sort of just disconnect. And uh, I put my phone on its, you know, charging station and I just like lay in bed or sit on my couch and just kind of meditate for lack of better words, I guess, um, just to kind of, you know, reflect on my day and take that time to pause. Because again, like you said, we live such busy lives. We go from one thing to another, to another, to another. And it like it gets stressful sometimes, right? Like it's like, we need to just kind of breathe. <laughs> so um, of course I'm not perfect. Like there's often times where I have to finish something and then I go straight to bed, right? So I don't have that time to, to sort of like reflect. But um, yeah, I really do try to, to do that. And um, when it comes to music, I, I listen to music all the time on my ride to on my drive to school anywhere I'm going like I just I, I, I love I love music but again it also like with my love of music there is that need to disconnect even from music right because like you need that silence in your life at some times I just want to give a huge congratulations to Julia who will be our incoming arts and entertainment editor for volume 49 
when I asked her about moments of connection, she reminded us to really be grateful and appreciative of those little moments that we often take for granted, like the moments with friends just chatting around a dinner table. During COVID and well, like lockdown, and even now, like when things are slowly getting back to you know our new sense of normal, um, I just I love spending time um, with my friends and my family in ways like even just a simple dinner now. You know what I mean? Like before, it was just like ah, oh, like eating dinner with my family. Like, oh, like yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> but like now, I just really like. I guess COVID has taught me this. Even like these simple moments of like sitting around a table together, enjoying a meal, chatting about our day. Like it's it's all these little things that a lot of people are just kind of like, yeah, like I do that every day, right? But to me, it's so it's so important. And like I feel like even well during COVID, I wasn't seeing my family too too much, and I live away from home. And like now, whenever I get to go back and like see them, it's just it's so nice. And yeah, I really I really like that. So my name is Delaney Jaffa. Um, I'm in my fifth and final year at UTM, and my majors are linguistics and biological anthropology. Um, and I got involved last year with the medium through Chris, like the old um, arts editor. Um, I kind of saw on his Instagram, like I didn't know him personally, but I saw on his Instagram that um, they were looking for like new writers. Um, and so I kind of just took my chance and you know, became a staff writer last year, and then the associate features editor this year. In Delaney's magazine piece, Soundless Vibrations, she shares an intimate story about her cousin Maddie and her brother Noah's speech disorders and how that prevented them from connecting with their classmates, their teacher, and their family. She also talks about her personal experience growing up as a French Canadian and how something like pronouncing words differently can make you feel really separated from those around you and how she learned to reconcile um, her language differences and really embrace her cultural identity. Yeah, um, so I went to like an extended French school at one point in my life. So half of my classes were in English and half of them were in French. But pretty much everyone other than me was, you know, first language English speakers. Um, so I was kind of the outlier, especially when it came to the English classes. You know, like in Ontario, people don't really think about that. You know, when they're in French class, it's okay that everyone kind of has, you know, this like English accent when they're speaking French because that's what they expect from everyone. So when there's one person in their English class that, you know, is having maybe these kinds of difficulties that they're seeing in French. It's something that they notice and that they pick up on. And of course, when I was younger, you know, I kind of felt embarrassed about it. But now, like, you know, I let my accent slip. It's not something that I'm worried about because I found this sense of pride in my identity. And through my accent, like, it's okay now, you know. Yeah, there were some really, really like touching moments where you talk about how the first time, like, I think um, it was like your brother who was able to hear or something like his teacher, right? Um, right. Yeah, can you tell us a little bit more actually about just like that moment and how your family was like feeling during that time? Yeah, I mean, that specific part of the article, like that specific memory is something that still makes my mom very emotional. Um, just because, 
you know, there's these small mundane sounds that we don't even think about because we have the privilege of hearing. And when someone finally experiences those, it's kind of this new world that's opening up to them. And I feel like my parents and myself had like a lot of guilt when he came home and he was like, oh my God, like the clock is ticking. Like I can hear you clanging pots because we felt like maybe we did, we weren't paying enough attention to know that he wasn't hearing those things. And, you know, now like almost 10 years later, we're like, how would we have known, you know? because we don't even acknowledge that those sounds are there. But through that experience, we just know to be more cautious about that and to think about how other, how other people experience the world and kind of pick up on the cues on, you know, just being more conscious of the spaces that we have because just like other things we may take for granted, but there's people who have, you know, accessibility issues um, that might not experience the, the way that might not experience the world the way that we experience it. And I think, you know, that's probably a lesson that we should take everywhere, not just, you know, in hearing. Do you feel like this, like, experience with your brother growing up has impacted your relationships now and, you know, how maybe aware you are um, to your friends' experiences? Yeah, for sure. I feel like um, a lot of the extracurricular stuff that I do on campus kind of focuses on that realization that I made with my little brother. Um, especially like sexual education is very, very colonized and especially in the way that we teach it. And we don't take into accountability, you know, how people with hearing problems or people with mobility issues might experience their sexuality. And so that's kind of something that I'm really passionate about bringing to this, the sexual education center at UTM. Um, and even stuff with, um, like in the past, I've worked as um, like a volunteer note taker with the accessibility center. Um, I've participated in like discussions about how to make um, the campus more accessible. And these topics in my head kind of really stems from the experience I had with my brother. And, you know, even in my friend groups, you know, I try to be conscious of the things that they might be having more difficulties with and try to like help them through that because I know it might be something that I'm not seeing that they're having trouble with. To reconnect with her history as a French Canadian, Delaney talks about moments when her family would sing songs and play games together. In those moments, she experiences deep connection with her loved ones. You know, that's where I get to experience the most of my, you know, history um, as a French Canadian. Um, so I really appreciate moments like that where, you know, everyone in my family come together and without explicitly talking about um, where we come from or how we connect to Canada, it comes out through, you know, whatever songs we might be singing, whatever games we're playing, you know, it just comes out that way. Um, so I do feel really connected in moments like that. To end off our episode, we have an interview with Paige France, our one and only poet in our Connection magazine. She talks about how important it is to realize that although we are all connected, we are also all really, really different. She highlights all the different backgrounds and experiences and skin colors and um, ages of people, but talks about how through that, through those differences, we are all connected and we can all better strengthen each other. Hi, I'm Paige Franz. I am in my second year 
and I'm doing biology for health sciences as well as a psychology major. And I'm, I got involved with the medium uh, before I started first year. <laughs> I was really quick on that. I, I wrote for, I had my own column yeah, um, in my really small hometown. Like it wasn't anything massive, but it was youth in highlight. And so every month I would highlight an extraordinary youth in my community. And I fell in love with writing for newspapers. And so I thought that writing for the medium would be such a fitting option for me. I've written for features, comments, as well as arts and entertainment, but I really love arts and entertainment. It's like my my like little niche. Your favorite one, yeah. yeah. Girl, I did not know that you had your own column in your own hometown. That is so cool. Um, like, do you have a favorite story or a youth that you highlighted that you remember? Yeah, actually there was a youth he didn't go to my school. He went to a school adjacent to the town I went, I went to school in. And he actually went to, uh, the, he was a Paralympic. He went to the Paralympics in Poland. That's what okay. he did. And he ended up getting first in Canada. And then he went off to Poland and he placed second. So it was incredible. And it was during, it was right before COVID. So we were so happy that he was able to make it. And then I ended up doing a follow-up article for him congratulating him and he had all of those medals and he was really excited about it and I was happy to uh highlight him like there were so many incredible things happening in in each town community wow that is amazing and um speaking about writing I also vividly remember the day that I first met you in office do you remember that day I just remember because I I've written like read most of the things that you've written and I just remember thinking Aww. that like it was incredible because I read your Medium magazine and it was one of the first ones that I, I read and I, it was incredible. So. Oh, thank you. And you're like, we had talked for like five minutes about writing and stuff. Yeah. And then you're like, do you want to come my birthday? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, well, speaking about also your poem in our most latest In Touch magazine. And it is called Skin Against Our Fingertips. Can you tell us a little bit about the meaning behind the title and why you chose yeah. that? Yeah. So one thing that I wanted, well, connection to me is like an amalgamation of everything that makes a society a true society. So that's why I found importance in integrating um, different cultures, traditions, uh, let it be uh, different figments of di different religions, garments, clothing, symbols that are specific to different religions. The symbolism would hit really hard was if we talked about skin. Um, we all have it and it's our skin is a way in which um, that connects us as, as a whole, like biologically. <laughs> I'm in biology so I'm like okay let's do that. Biggest organ and then it's also it can show us who we are as a person. So it, while it connects us, it also allows us to be um, different from everyone else. So it can be different colors, different textures, different, it can be wrinkled or youthful, dirty from labor. Little reference that I wanted to make throughout the, the poem was that we are connected as one through our skin, but that's also another way in which we are different from everyone else. I just wanted to make sure that the poem touched on everything that I could think of that was really current now and that in the end we're just sitting on a metaphorical life raft looking for help searching for our lighthouse and that together the future is both safe and secure so we know that 
while we may all be different, if we're all together, the future is secure. And we're all saying, well, I don't know where we're going, but I want to, I want to go around, like, I want to go along with you. I want to brave the future together. And that was why I was really excited to bring in the life raft metaphor in the end. Like poetry is sometimes you just want to leave it up for the reader to interpret. Um, but it's also in that last stanza, it says human connection is a paradox in and of itself, not just a mess of meaningless greetings. Yeah, when people think of connection, instantly the first thing that comes to mind is talking to people, connecting, networking. And I wanted to go deeper. Like, I don't want it to be, oh, I'm talking to this person. I'm connected with that person. I wanted it to be on more of like an actual biological, personal level. So I find that to be a person and to be a human is just a paradox because we want to be a person. We want to be our own independent human being. But in order to be human, we want to share in the independence of everyone. And uh, that's why I wanted to really connect that with skin is because we want to be our own person. We are we're our, our own skin, but it does show that we are connected to everybody and that we aren't as different as we may seem. We, f we tend to focus on what makes us different, but we actually have a lot that makes us similar, um, more than we might realize. Mm -hmm. And so for someone who might, because um, at the same time, I feel like connection sometimes doesn't come naturally or like sometimes it's not so easy and you know we might go to the grocery store for example and people are focused on doing their own thing or even with work colleagues or classmates it's like sometimes it's hard to connect with someone on that deeper level and you kind of just say hi and bye and you go about your days but you know you don't really like acknowledge each other or really like see each other so do you have any um, advice or like, what do you think about how people can connect more on a deeper level? I find that even being in a school, working with the newspaper really helps bring out a diverse vo voice in the school community in of itself. Um, I mean, I, I'm in my basement, so I don't really, I know what it's fe it feels like to not be able to connect with anyone, especially during COVID. The second I started uh, helping out with started writing for the medium was when I felt like I was in a in a community that really helped show the diversity of our um, school community. Yeah. So for Aroni's special issue, I was able to write about my Indigenous heritage, and it was something that I feel like I'm not connected to. So I feel like it's not even part of me anymore because my great great grandmother assimilated into Canadian society. And we lost it. So I'm not a treaty Indian. I'm I'm not status Indian. I, and it's hard to grasp the idea that you know you're not connected to your roots anymore. And I really liked. I really found importance in writing that piece because a lot of people might feel like they they're not connected to their heritage anymore because over the years, you know, heritage dwindles or you know connections break. And I that was one piece that I really enjoyed writing because it showed how connected we are to each other and how even if we're not connected we still have a longing or a belonging to be part of that community. For someone who might be going through that disconnect with their heritage like um, how do you feel like we can like connect with that again? Well the one way I did was write so I 
I wrote about how I felt. I wrote about how I felt about not being able to, to be connected to a heritage that I should have been proud of. I just really remember writing that piece and feeling more connected. And that is it for our final episode of season two of the Medium The Message podcast. Thank you so much to every single contributor of this magazine for being so open and vulnerable and sharing your insights about connection, disconnection, and the stories that you've written. I asked Liz how she was thinking and feeling about the magazine and the end of the year, and here's what she said. I'm really proud of this magazine. I think the design that Manjad did is so stunningly cohesive and beautiful. Um, And we included works by um, our associates and staff writers. We kind of opened it up a little bit more and I'm hoping next year we might even open it it up even more um, to, to give more people the opportunity to write. But that's, it's, it's been a really great experience to work with some new voices and to see the pieces grow from what they were first submitted and then now what they are after so, so many rounds of edits. Um, I hope that when they read both magazines, they reflect on their own experiences with isolation and connection and see how one does play a role in the other. I just really want people to read everyone's work because it is absolutely stunning. And I think every single piece deserves like an Oscar, whatever the writing equivalent of an Oscar is. Um, But yeah, and I just want to say thank you to everyone that wrote and edited and Manjot and you, Elisa, for being my partner in crime for this magazine and the last one. It's been like awesome. It's been awesome. Don't forget to tune in for season three of the Medium the Message podcast, which will be launched in September. Also, if you haven't checked out our previous episodes yet, you can always listen to them on any streaming platform that you prefer. And also, don't forget to pick up a copy of our In Touch magazine, which is on stands across campus. So y'all, it has been a pleasure, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.